إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد ستكنتنيو بذا بلوغ المرام The final hadith or the ahadith that we spoke about was with regards to the water and which type of water is permissible to use and which type of water is not permissible to use. So what were the characteristics or the descriptions that you have to look at to determine if that water is pure or impure? What were the three characteristics that you look at? The smell, the color and the taste. The smell, the color and the taste. So that's what we were saying, that you look at those descriptions, and if, if some impurity falls into some water, and it changes those descriptions of the water, or one of those descriptions of the water, the color changes, or the taste changes, or the smell changes, and that indicates that this impurity has affected the water, and therefore you can't use it. But if that impurity fell into a water, and none of those characteristics changed, then the water is okay. And even though we said that there was a difference of opinion about the water which is a small quantity of water, less than qullatain. If it is less than qullatain, a small amount of water, then some of the scholars said that if the impurity falls into it, even if the characteristics don't change, it is impure. However, as we said, some of the other scholars, their opinion was that even if it's a small amount of water or a large amount of water, you have to look at those characteristics, those awsaf the taste and the smell and the taste and the smell and the color. If they've changed, then the watch was changed. If not, then it is okay. So moving on from there now, we have hadith number six. وَعَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ لَا يَغْتَسِلْ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمُ وَهُوَ جُنُبُ رواه مسلم وللبخاري لا يَبُولَنَّ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمِ الَّذِي لَا يَجْرِي ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ وَلِمُسْلِمْ ثُمَّ يَغْتَسِلُ مِنْهُ وَلِأَبِي دَاوُدْ وَلَا يَغْتَسِلْ فِيهِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ So these two ahadith now, or this one hadith with the different narrations of it, it states the narration of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه that the Prophet ﷺ said, one of you should not make the ghusl in water that is stagnant if that person is uh, in a state of janaba. If a person is in a state of janaba, then he should not make ghusl from water that is stagnant. Stagnant meaning it's not flowing. You have some water which is flowing like a stream or a river. The water flows. But if you have water which is stagnant, it's still, it's not moving. Then this hadith says that a person who is in a state of janaba, of that major impurity, then he should not take the ghusl from this water which is not moving, it's still. Bukhari's narration also states that an individual, That none of you should urinate in water that is stagnant, that is still, that isn't moving, which isn't flowing. So we're not talking about flowing water here. Flowing water like rivers and streams that flow, we're not talking about that. Here we're talking about water that is still, it doesn't move. Here in the narration of Bukhari, he says, none of you should urinate in water that is still, which doesn't flow, and then make ghusl from it, or make ghusl in it. None of you should urinate in water that is still, isn't flowing, and then make ghusl in it. In the narration of Muslim, it says that the person should not make ghusl from it. Minhu. And in Abu Dawood, it says that the person should not make ghusl from this water that isn't moving. Min al-janaba. From that state of impurity, uh, major impurity, ritual impurity from the state of ritual impurity, from the state of Janaba. So we'll come to the explanation of all of that now here. These ahadith now, Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan, he says, 
هذا الحديث موضوعه بيان الماء الذي تحول عن أصله This hadith, the subject of it is now about water that has changed from its original state. سبق في الحديث الذي قبله أن الماء أن الماء إذا تحول عن أصله بنجاسة غيرت أحد أوصافه الثلاثة إما ريحه وإما طعمه وإما لونه أن يكون نجسا بإجماع أهل العلم. The Sheikh says we have already said. That if some impurity falls into the water and changes the water from its original state into this new state, whereby the color or the smell or the taste has changed, if that impurity has gone in there and changed one of those characteristics, then we've already said, the Sheikh says, that this is now impure by consensus of the scholars. If the characteristics or one of the characteristics has changed because of that impurity, then the water is impure. But now, here the Sheikh says, وَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ بَيَانٌ آخر مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ التحول. Here there is an explanation of a different type of change. Something else that can change the water. وَهُوَ الْمَاءُ الَّذِي أُسْتُعْمِلَ فِي غُسْلِ الْجَنَابَةِ والماء الذي وقع فيه بول من الآدمي. Here our issue isn't about impurity falling into the water and changing the characteristics. Here now the new issue we're talking about is a person who is in a state of janaba, in a state of having been in intercourse, relations with his wife, etc. or relations between the husband and wife. Then that individual when he goes into this water makes ghusl, that water has now been used. The water is now used water. It's second-hand water. Is it okay now to use that or not? Similarly, a person who urinates in this water, then is it permissible to use that water or not? This is the issue that we are going to discuss here now. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has given a prohibition. La yaghtasil ahadukum. None of you should make ghusl in water that is still. Water that isn't moving. Water that is in one place and it's not flowing. Wahua junub. If that person is in a state of impurity, ritual impurity, janaba. Here the scholars have said therefore, that these ahadith are, are referring to a specific issue. What is that specific issue they are referring to? Firstly, they are referring to water that is not flowing. So these ahadith are talking about still water. Water that is still, it's not moving. That's the first point. Secondly, these ahadith are referring to not making ghusl in them if a person is in the state of janaba. These ahadith, they don't talk about a person if he wants to make ghusl just for the sake of cooling down. Imagine you have some still water that isn't flowing. If somebody wanted to go in there and dip in himself, just to cool himself down, not for ghusl from janaba. He's already got wudu everything pure. He just wants to cool himself down. That's okay. That's not mentioned in these ahadith. These ahadith are talking about still water that isn't flowing. Is it allowed for a person to make ghusl from them if he is in a state of janaba? Ritual impurity, that's what the hadith says, isn't allowed. So those two issues, bear them in mind. Here now the shaykh says, La nahiya. Firstly, it is the La nahiya which is prohibition. This indicates prohibition from the Prophet ﷺ for this act to be done. And the scholars, they define these things. And they say, prohibition, what is a prohibition? What's the meaning of a prohibition? And what's the meaning of a commandment? Here the shaykh explains, he says, a prohibition, لِأَنَّ النَّهِي مَعَنَاهُ طَلَبُ الْكَفِّ عَنِ الشَّيْءِ Its meaning is that you are being requested, you are being told to stop doing something. طَلَبُ الْكَفِّ عَنِ الشَّيْءِ To restrict yourself from doing something. As for a commandment, that is talab fi'l shay. 
That is a request or a commandment to do something. So the, pro- so the, so the prohibition is to prohibit you and restrict you from doing something. The commandment is telling you or requesting you to do something. So here we have a prohibition telling you not to do this. None of you should make ghusl here who is being addressed, who is being spoken to, the ummah as a whole. Everyone in the nation is being spoken to by this hadith up until the day of judgment. This hadith it applies. None of you should do this, any Muslim. The water that is stagnant, that is still, it's not moving. How do we know that that's what it means? Al-ma'id-da'im. In this hadith he says, Fil-ma'id-da'im. Da'im, we know it means stagnant. But how do we know? Because in the narration of Al-Bukhari, he actually explains it. In the narration of Bukhari, the Prophet says, La fil-ma'id-da'im. None of you should urinate in stagnant water. And what is stagnant water? Alladhi la yajri. Water that does not flow. So this hadith explains to you what the meaning of Al-ma'ud-da'im is. And that is water that does not flow. So not rivers and streams and those things. We're talking about water that is in one place and it's not flowing around anywhere. Then here it says, in the second narration it explains that the water is stagnant. فَالْمَاءَ الْمُجْتَمَعْ فِي مَكَانٍ وَلَا يَطْرَعُ عَلَيْهِ انْتِقَالٍ مِنْ هَذَا الْمَكَانِ يُسَمَّ رَاكِدًا وَيُسَمَّ دَائِمًا Water that is gathered together in one place and it doesn't move around. It doesn't move around and flow like rivers and streams do. The water flows in rivers and streams. But in this one, the water is in one place and it doesn't move around in any way. Then that's the water which is called da'im as Sheikh Fawzan. Hafidullah says here, بِخِلَافِ الْمَاءِ الْجَارِي And that is in opposition to the water, in contrary to the water that is jari, which is flowing. So here now, why, why is there a difference anyway? Why is there a difference between water that flows and water that is still? Why has this hadith only speaking about still water? What about water that flows? Why is that different to water that is still? Why is it different? Correct. Water that flows, it keeps making itself renewed. It renews itself. You, have, you go to a stream and you stand in one place... You put your hand there, the water that comes is new water. New water keeps coming and coming and coming. But if you go to something that is not moving, you put your hand in the water, it's the same water that you have your hand in all the time. That same water is just there. But in a river, the water keeps flowing. That water comes, hits your hand and it goes. New water comes and hits your hand and it goes. New water comes, new water comes. So in a river or a stream, the water, it continues to renew itself. It continues to move itself. And new water comes. But in water which is stagnant and not moving, none of that exists. That water is there, it is still, it cannot renew itself. It cannot change and bring new fresh water. It's not moving. That's why the rulings are different. To water that is flowing and can remove itself. It can change itself. It can bring new water and get rid of the old water. But water that is still cannot do that. That's why the difference between still water and moving water. Here the ahadith are about still water. Then also Junub, it says that none of you should make ghusl in still water if he is Junub, if he is upon Janaba meaning. And the word Junub, the Shaykh says, its meaning is that upon him is Janaba. And Janaba, the meaning of it is that an individual has released liquids as a consequence of uh, desire. An individual has released liquids from himself as a consequence of desire uh, whether that be through intercourse or even without intercourse if an individual releases fluids even without intercourse then he's upon a state of janaba meaning that if he uh, had relations with his wife the meaning of that is that if he had relations with his wife but he did not release so the rephrase the previous section what was intended by that is that an individual can be upon janaba if he has a, uh, the, the intercourse with the wife even if he doesn't release fluids. 
if a person has intercourse or contact with his wife, marital relations, even if fluid isn't released, then he's in a state of uh, janaba. If the private parts they meet. That is because of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu If the two circumcised areas meet, then indeed ghusl is obligatory. So if the private parts they meet, then ghusl is obligatory. Ghusl is obligatory, even if the liquids have not been released. That's what was intended by that speech. So now this is what janaba is. A person is in a state of janaba either through intercourse and release or through relations without actual release, all of that because of the contact of the circumcised areas, then that person is upon a state of janaba. Somebody might say, but there's a hadith which is in Sahih Muslim that says, إِنَّمَا الْمَاءُ مِنَ الْمَاءُ The hadith which is in Sahih Muslim, it says that ghusl is only obligatory upon a person if he actually releases the liquid. Through intercourse, if the liquids are actually released, then ghusl is obligatory. Hadith in Sahih Muslim. So what do we do with that one? Now we just said, if the private parts they meet even without release, the ghusl is upon you. So what do we do with the hadith in Sahih Muslim which says, The ghusl is only obligatory if the liquids are released. So how do you combine all of that? How? If the two miss, you are upon If you release without meeting, you are upon Yeah, but the hadith of Sahih Muslim says you are only obliged to do ghusl if the liquids are released. So this one indicates that if the private part meets but no liquids are released, no ghusl upon you. That's what the hadith of Muslim says. That the ghusl is only obligatory upon you if the liquids are released. So it's hard to combine it with the other hadith which says that ghusl is obligatory even if the liquids aren't released. There's a clear difference here. One says ghusl is upon you if liquids are released. One says ghusl is upon you even if liquids aren't released. So how do you combine it then? All of these narrations are authentic. In this instance, the combination of evidences is that one of them is actually abrogated. The hadith which says, that you only have to make ghusl if liquids are released, is actually abrogated. By the later hadith which says, that actually ghusl is upon you if the body parts meet, the private parts meet, even if liquids aren't released. That hadith is the one which takes the ruling. It, it abrogates the other hadith. So the ruling therefore is that the ghusl is upon an individual if the private parts meet, even if the liquids are not released. But if somebody comes across this other authentic hadith and you tell him, it's abrogated. Yes, that was the ruling at the beginning of Islam. But then later on, that was abrogated. And ghusl was obligatory upon an individual if the private parts meet only, even without the release of liquids. Uh, so now here it says, None of you should wash or take the ghusl in water which is still if you are upon janaba. Here the shaykh says, there is an evidence within this that all other types of ghusl in water that is still are permissible. Imagine you have some water now that is still water, stagnant water, al-ma'ad-da'im. Are you allowed to make the ghusl like we just said? If you wanted to just cool yourself down. It's allowed. If you wanted to just uh, clean some, clean yourself for some other reason, is it allowed? It's allowed. The one which isn't allowed is because of the janaba. That's the type of ghusl which is being prohibited in these ahadith. Then it also says, in the second narration of Bukhari, لا أَحَدُكُمْ None of you should urinate in water that is stagnant. Water that isn't moving, again, do not urinate in that water. Here the shaykh says, نَهَا عَنِ الْبَوْلِ فِي الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمِ ثُمَّ فَسَّرَهُ بِقَوْلِهِ أَلَّذِي لَا يَجْرِي فَزَادَتْ رِوَايَةُ الْبُخَارِ عَلَى رِوَايَةُ مُسْلِمِ بِتَفْسِيرِ الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمِ وَأَنَّ الْمُرَادِ بِهِ أَلَّذِي لَا يَجْرِي So here the shaykh says that the Prophet ﷺ said, do not urinate in water that is stagnant. And the narration of Bukhari explained what that means. That is water which is not flowing. 
Then in Sahih Muslim, this is how the majority of the book it works. First, the Shaykh will explain to you the hadith of themselves, what the hadith means by itself. Then afterwards, he will explain to you how to understand all of it with the rest of the evidences. So here first now, what the Shaykh is doing, he's just explaining these hadith, what the hadith they say, what they indicate, what the rulings are. But then he will, at the end of this chapter, now in the next section, explain to you what it means with the rest of the evidences. How to put that together with the qullatain and more than qullatain, large amount of water, small amount of water, characteristics, all that's going to come. But first, just the explanation of the hadith, what they mean. Uh, then in the narration of Sahih Muslim, uh, he said, Minhu. يعني ثم يغتسل منه بدل فيه. Because in the narration of Bukhari, it said, فيه. So that would mean that a person is not allowed to jump into the water. The water which is stagnant, you're not allowed to go into it. Whereas the narration of Muslim would indicate that it is not permissible al-ikhtiraf minhu. That that is not allowed either. Water that is stagnant, it's not moving. You're upon a state of janaba. The narration of Bukhari would indicate you're not allowed to dip yourself into that water. The narration of Muslim would indicate actually you're not even allowed to take water out. وَأَمَّا رِوَايَةُ مُسْلِمْ فَفِيهَا النَّهِي عَنِ الْإِغْتِرَافِ مِنْ هَذَا الْمَاءِ مِنْ أَجْلِ الْغُسَلِ وَعَلَىٰ أَيَّةِ حَالٍ فَالْمَاءُ الَّذِي بَالَ فِيهِ لَا يَصْحُ اسْتِعْمَالُهُ سَوَانِ غَمَسَ فِيهِ أَوْ اَغْتَرَفَ مِنْهُ So the narration of Bukhari says, if there is some still water, there is some still water. It's not flowing. If you urinate in it, the narration of Bukhari says, then you cannot dip yourself in there and make ghusl from it. The narration of Sahih Muslim says, if there is some still water and you urinate in it, then you cannot even dip your hands to get water out and make ghusl outside of it. Either way, whether you dip yourself into it, you stand in it and go into it, or you stay outside and you get water with your hands, none of that is allowed if you've urinated in it. The shaykh says clearly, if you've urinated in this water that is still and it's not moving, then the hadith indicates the two narrations that you cannot make ghusl from it, whether you dip yourself in or whether you take out scoops of water. Then in the narration of Abu Dawood, uh, and Abu Dawood, everyone knows Abu Dawood, uh, Abu Dawood Suleiman ibn Ash'af, the one who wrote uh, Sunan, Sunan Abi Dawood, uh, and he was a great Imam from the great scholars of Hadith, Al-Imam Abu Dawood. And he is from the companions of Al-Imam Ahmad, and from the greatest of the students of Al-Imam Ahmad. So then he states in his narration, وَلَا يَغْتَسِلُ فِيهِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَ he states in his narration, again, this extra point about the janaba, that an individual should not then make ghusl from that uh, if he is upon a state of janaba. Right, so now that's the explanation of the ahadith. Ahadith all indicate that if there is water that isn't flowing, then you cannot make ghusl in it if you are in a state of janaba. You cannot urinate in it and then make ghusl from it if you're in a state of janaba. Generally, you cannot urinate in it. All of these things are mentioned in this hadith. So now the shaykh is going to give all of this, the benefits of it and the understanding of it. So he says, وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ بِرِوَايَاتِهِ يُسْتَفَادُ مِنْهُ عِدَّةُ أَحْكَامِ This hadith now with all of these different narrations about it, don't urinate in it, don't make ghusl in it, dipping yourself in, don't make ghusl in it by scooping water out. If it is still and stagnant water. Here now the rulings linked to all of that. Firstly, فِيهِ تَحْرِيمُ الْإِغْتِسَالِ مِنَ الْجَنَابَ بِالْمَاءِ الدَّائِمِ بِأَنْ يَنْغَمِسَ فِيهِ لِأَنَّ هَذَا يَجْعَلُهُ مُسْتَعْمِلًا وَلَا يَصْلُحُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ لِلطَّهَارَةِ بِهِ لَا لَهُ وَلَا لِغَيْرِهِ إِذَا غَمَسَ فِيهِ وَهُوَ جُنُبٌ أَمَّا لَوْ اغْتَرَفَ مِنْهُ وَتَظَهَّرَ خَارِجُه the first point the Sheikh mentions is that there is a prohibition to make ghusl in water that is stagnant, which is still from janaba by dipping yourself in there. The prohibition of dipping yourself in, standing in and going in, walking into this water, which is stagnant and still water to make ghusl from janaba. That's what the hadith indicates. If the water is stagnant and it is still, it's not flowing, then you cannot dip yourself into that water, your whole body dip it in there to make ghusl. 
Because that would now make this water second-hand water, used water. You've now used this water to remove the janaba from yourself. So it cannot be used again. And that issue is going to come in more detail in the following ahadith. But then the shaykh says, however, if an individual came to a pile of water, some water, a, a, an amount of water, still water which isn't flowing, and he was in a state of janaba, and he wanted to make ghusl, if he dipped his hands into scoop some water out, and then when he washed himself, that water which was flowing off him, it fell out somewhere, not in the stagnant water. I, he removes himself a little bit further away. He scoops the water out, and then a bit further away, he washes himself, so that the water dripping off him doesn't go back into that still water. Then he goes back and gets another scoop and does it again. Then he goes back and gets another scoop. If he does that, the sheikh says that's okay. Because you're getting scoops of water out, and when you're washing yourself, those drips of water aren't going back into that water again, they're going elsewhere. So you can do that. The sheikh says that is okay. This the Shaykh says there's no problem. The prohibition is to dip yourself into that water if you're in a state of janaba and the water isn't flowing. Then the Shaykh says the second point. The Shaykh says, what about water that's flowing? These are the rulings now from all of this. The water that's flowing, if you're in a state of janaba, can you dip yourself in there? Can you walk into a river, dip, it, dip yourself in? The Shaykh says, yes. In a river which is flowing or a stream that is flowing, you can do that. Why? Because the water, it keeps renewing itself. When you go in and wash yourself, that water, it flows away. And new water comes, it flows away. New water comes, it flows away. So it moves and it flows away and new water keeps coming. So then you can dip yourself in there. Because once you wash yourself, that water is going to flow away and new water is going to come. So if it's flowing water, it continuously renews itself. So in that instance, you are allowed to dip yourself in. Now the point. وَكَذَلِكَ الْمَاءَ الرَّاكِدَ الْكَثِيرِ مِثْلُ الْبَحِيرَ كَبِيرًا أو جَابِيَ كَبِيرًا أو خَابِيَ مِنَ الْخَوَابِ اجتمع فيها ماء كثير فلا بأس على الإنسان أن ينغمس فيها لأن هذا لا يؤثر عليها لكثرتها إنما المنهي أو إنما النهي والله أعلم في المياه القليلة المحدودة التي لا تجري وهي الراكدة Now the sheikh says Similarly if you had a large amount of stagnant water Imagine you had a massive lake. Lakes, the water doesn't flow. It's still in one place. Or you had a massive reservoir. Some big amount of water. But it's still, it's not flowing. But it's a huge amount of water. The shaykh says in that instance, you can dip yourself into it. Because if it's a huge amount of water, if you dip yourself into it, are any of the characteristics going to change? If it's a huge amount, a huge lake, and one person who's got janaba dips himself into one corner to make ghusl. Is that going to affect this lake? Not at all. So the shaykh says, when it's a large amount of water, then in that instance, if an individual did dip himself in to make the ghusl, then that's okay because that would not affect the water. It's a large amount of water. And the shaykh says, Allahu a'lam, but it would appear that these ahadith are speaking about the water which is stagnant and not flowing, but when it's a small amount. If you only had a small pond, a very small pond. If you were in Janaba and you dipped yourself in there, then all of that water now, you've used it with your Janaba to clean yourself and it's only a small amount of water. So then you wouldn't be able to use it again. But when it's a large amount of water, a huge lake or a huge reservoir, you dip yourself in, that's not going to have any effect on the water. So here the Shaykh says that Allahu A'lam, but the meaning of the hadith is most likely talking about still water that is a small amount, less than qullatain. Then that water you don't dip yourself in there. Then also the Shaykh says, hadith ala al-bawl fi al la yajri. The second point is, so that's the first point, that if the water is flowing, you can dip yourself in. 
Wash yourself, make ghusl. Because the water flows and it renews itself. If the water is not flowing, and it's a small amount of water, then you cannot dip yourself in. But if the water is not flowing and it's a large amount of water, then you can dip yourself in because the characteristics aren't going to change. It's not going to affect that huge amount of water. That's the first point. The second point, the Shaykh says, these ahadith, they indicate the impermissibility of urinating in water that is still and stagnant. Again, the same point is made. That an individual is not allowed to urinate in water that is stagnant and is not moving. However, the Shaykh says, أَمَّا الْمَاءَ الْجَارِي وَالْمَاءَ الْكَثِيرِ فَهَذَا لَا يَضُرُّهُ الْبَوْلِ وَإِنْ كَانَ مِنَ الْأَدَبِ وَالْمَرُوءَةِ أَلَّا يَتَبَوَّلَ فِيهِ So water that is stagnant, and it is still, and it's not flowing, it's not allowed to urinate in it. Because if you do, and it's a small amount of water, what's going to happen? The characteristics are going to change. So that water, it won't be able to be used by anyone else then. But if it was a large amount of stagnant water, and you urinate in it, is that going to affect it? If it's a huge lake, and somebody urinates in one corner, is that urine going to change the whole lake into yellow? Not at all. It'll just disappear and you won't even know it. So the small amount of water that is stagnant, it's impermissible to urinate in it. The large amount of water which is stagnant, the Shaykh says, you could urinate in it because it wouldn't affect it. However, the Shaykh says, from manners and from morals, you wouldn't do that. It's not good manners to go and urinate in a lake or to go and urinate in a reservoir. That's bad manners and it's not the behavior of a Muslim. So the Shaykh says you shouldn't do that. But if you did do it and it was a large amount of water that was stagnant, it wouldn't affect it. The characteristics wouldn't be changed by that little bit of urine. But it's something that you shouldn't do. Min al-muru'ah, the Shaykh says also, from the manliness of a person, from the honor of a person, the respect a person has for himself, then you don't lose that respect by urinating in a lake. Also, if the water is flowing... If the water is flowing, then again, if you urinated in it, then what's the ruling on the water? It's okay. Because it's flowing. The urine will just be flowed away and it, thus it disappears. So flowing water, it would, the prohibition isn't on that. Large amount of stagnant water, the prohibition isn't upon that. The small amount of stagnant water, that's what the Shaykh says appears to be the prohibition. Even though... With the large amount of stagnant water and the running water, you still wouldn't urinate in that. You wouldn't want to urinate in a lake or a stream or a, or a, lake or a, 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 a river. Because it's, you lose your respect. You lose your honor if you do something like that. It's not an honorable and a good manners thing to do. So you wouldn't do that anyway. But if you did, then the water, the ruling on it, is that it wouldn't change it. Then the hadith says, لا يبولن في الماء الدائم the person should not urinate in stagnant water. What if somebody urinated in a cup or a bottle and then poured it into that stagnant water? Is the ruling the same or not? Because the hadith says don't urinate in the stagnant water, in the still water. Somebody urinates in a bottle somewhere else, but then he just pours it into that water afterwards. He hasn't urinated in it. He's poured it in afterwards. Is that allowed or not? Why not? Correct, because it's the same ruling. It's about not having urine go into that small amount of stagnant water. So the same ruling applies. Nobody can say, no, if you urinate in a bottle and then throw it in, it's okay. Even though the Zahiriya, that's what they said. The Zahiriya, they said, the hadith says, لا يبولن في الماء الدائم don't urinate in the stagnant water. So they said if somebody urinates outside and then pours it in, then the prohibition is not about that. That's what they said. Al-Zahiriya, فَإِنَّهُمْ يَرَوْنَ أَنَّهُ لَوْ بَالَ فِي قَارُورَةِ ثُمَّ صَبَّهَ فِي الْمَاءِ الدَّائِمْ أَنَّ هَذَا لَا يُؤَثِّرْ فِيهِ وَلَا يُنْهَى عَنْهُ. Al-Zahiriya. That's incorrect. 
Even if a person does that and pours it in, the characteristics they change. If that's it. The water has changed. Right, those issues, everybody understands them now. If the water is stagnant and it's a small amount, less than qullatain, you cannot urinate in that water. You cannot dip yourself in there to make ghusl. But if it was a large amount of water, then you could dip yourself in, you could scoop the water out. Even if a person ended up urinating in it, even though it's not good, then it wouldn't change that water. The second issue, fi al-hadith, dalil ala tahrim al-jam'a bayna al-bawl fi al-ma'i al-daim, wal-iqtisal fihi kama huwa zahir fi riwayat al-bukhari. هذا من باب أولى إذا نهي عن البو فيه على حد على حدة والاختصار فيه على حدة فالجمع بين من باب أولى أنه منهي عنه وأنه محرم بلا شك وقد جاءت به رواية المام البخاري. The second point the Sheikh makes is now the impermissibility of urinating in water that is stagnant and then making ghusl from that water as well. Urinating in water that's stagnant is mentioned by one narration by itself. Making ghusl from janaba in water that is stagnant is mentioned in another narration. The impermissibility of that. So the two impermissibilities of making ghusl in water that is stagnant from janaba is in one narration. In another narration of the hadith, it mentions about urinating, the impermissibility of that. So the two prohibitions are mentioned separately in two narrations. Then imagine if you joined the two prohibitions together. That you urinate in the stagnant water and you want to make ghusl in it. Clearly the prohibition is even greater then. The prohibition is even greater. If it's prohibited you urinate in the first place and it's prohibited to make ghusl from Janaba in the first place, then what about somebody who urinates and wants to make ghusl? So the prohibition is even greater, the Shaykh says, in that instance. The fourth issue, the Shaykh says, this is the issue that links back to the previous issue. في الحديث دليل على أن الماء القليل إذا وقعت فيه نجاسة فإنه يتنجس ولو لم يتغير كما قال به جمع من أهل العلم وكما هو مفهوم حديث القلتين كما سبق قال سلم إذا بلغ الماء قلتين لم يحمل الخبث فمفهومه أنه إذا لم يبلغ القلتين فإنه يحمل الخبث بمعنى أنه يتنجس وهذا الحديث الذي معناه وهذا الحديث الذي معنا لا يبولنا أحدكم في الماء الدائم يؤيد ذلك يؤيد أن الماء القليل يتنجس بالبول ولو لم يتغير أحد أوصافه هذا ظاهر الحديث والذين يرون أنه لا يتنجس إلا بتغير يحملون هذا الحديث على أنه من باب التعبد حيث لم يعرفوا علة المنع This is the next point Here the Sheikh says now Remember in the last issue There was a difference of opinion about water which is less than قلتين some scholars said, if an impurity falls into water which is less than qullatain, it becomes impure straight away. Forget about the characteristics, you don't have to look at them. Less than qullatain, if the impurity falls in, impure, finished. That's what some scholars said. Other scholars said, no, even if it's less than qullatain, an impurity falls into it, you still got to look at those characteristics. If they've changed, fair enough. If none of them have changed, then no, it's not impure. This hadith now where it says لا يبولنا أحدكم في الماء الدائم ثم يفتسلوا فيه that none of you should urinate in stagnant water and then uh, make ghusl from it. This hadith indicates indicates that if water is less than قلتين and if any impurity falls into it then that water becomes impure straight away. This hadith indicates that opinion. Because it says if you urinate in stagnant water, that's it. Don't make ghusl in that water now. It's not permissible to urinate in stagnant water, it says. Why? Because if it's less than qullatain and you urinate in it, it's going to become impure. That's what the hadith indicates. The hadith indicates that if water is less than qullatain and you were to urinate in it, the water would become impure. That's why the prohibition is there. Don't urinate in water which is stagnant and of a small amount because you're going to impurify it. So this hadith seems to back up the opinion that if water is less than qullatain and you urinate in it or you did some impurity in it, then that water becomes impure straight away, even without looking at the characteristics. But some of the scholars who said that, no, you have to look at the characteristics, they said the meaning of the hadith is that this is ta'abbudi, that we've been told you cannot urinate in stagnant water. 
That doesn't mean they say that it becomes impure straight away. It just means they say that this is a commandment of worship. This is what we've been told to do to worship, and that's what we do, even if we don't understand the reasoning behind that. The fifth issue, the Shaykh says, and this in reality is an issue which is going to come up in the next hadith also. In this issue now the Shaykh says, there is an evidence in this hadith that if a person uses water to remove impurity from himself, to remove the janaba, person uses like a barrel full of water for example, he has a barrel full of water. So he uses that water to make ghusl. Or he has a big pot of water. So a big bath of water. He uses that bath of water to make ghusl. Can somebody else now come and use the same bath of water to make ghusl or not? This hadith seems to indicate it's not allowed. The hadith seems to indicate it's not allowed. None of you should urinate in this water and then make ghusl from it. This seems to indicate that because the urine has gone in, the purifying factor of the water is finished. The water is no longer possible to be used to purify. And this is an issue which is going to come in more detail next, about second-hand water. Water which has already been used by someone to make wudu, can you use the same water to make wudu? In it, or, or even out. take out all that issues, going to, all of it, or the whole issue is going to come next now. Or for example, some uh, water that has been used to make ghusl, can you come and use the same water to make ghusl? Whether you dip into it or take it out, all of that now is the next issue coming here. So this issue is understood now. Water that is a small amount and it is not flowing, you cannot urinate in it. You cannot dip yourself into make ghusl in it. But if it was a large amount of stagnant water, then you could do that. Even though it would not be from the honorable acts to urinate in that type of water. Flowing water, similarly, you could urinate in that. You could dip yourself in that. That's with regards to this issue. Now, the hadith number seven. وَعَنْ رَجُلٍ صَحِبَ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And one of the companions who accompanied the Prophet ﷺ for a lengthy period of time. And the scholars, they say, that it's mentioned in another narration, that he was Al-Hakam ibn Amr al-Ghafari. Al-Hakam ibn Amr al-Ghafari was his name. This companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who was with the Prophet ﷺ for a long time, he says, نَهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم أَن تَغْتَسِلَ الْمَرْأَةُ بِفَضْلِ الرَّجُلِ وَالرَّجُلِ بِفَضْلِ الْمَرْأَةِ وَالْيَغْتَرِفَا جَمِيعًا رواه أبو داود والنسائي وأسناده صحيح. وعن ابن عباس رضي الله عنه عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أو أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يغتسل بفضل ميمونة رضي الله عنها أخرجه مسلم ولأصحاب السنن اغتسل بعض أزواج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في جفنة فجاء النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ليغتسل منها فقالت إني كنت جنبا فقال إن الماء لا يجنب وصححه ترمذي وابن خزيمة so these ahadith now, they are speaking about this issue. If water has been used by someone to make purification, can that same water be used again for someone else to come along and make purification or not? The first hadith says, and like we said, first we're just going to explain the hadith. Then we'll explain the fiqh issues and how to understand it all. So first hadith says that the Prophet ﷺ used to prohibit a woman to use the leftover water of a man. If a man came and made wudu or ghusl, then it was prohibited for a woman to use the leftover water. Just like it was prohibited for a man to use the leftover water from a woman. But instead the ruling was, that instead of a man coming and using the water first, then the woman coming and using the same water, or the woman coming and using the water first, then the man coming and using the same water, the ruling was, وَالْيَغْتَرِفَا jami'an. That instead of doing that, they should both use the water at the same time. You have the big barrel or big bowl of water, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife obviously. They should both use the water at the same time. Not one of them uses it first, and then somebody comes afterwards, the husband or the wife, and uses what's left over afterwards. 
Rather, both of them dip their hands in at the same time. That's what the first hadith says. So the first hadith seems to indicate that you cannot use the water that is left over. Instead, you should use it together at the same time, husband and wife. The narration of Ibn Abbas, however, says that the Prophet ﷺ did used to use the leftover water from Maymuna radiallahu anha. That Maymuna radiallahu anha, she used to use some water for purification. And the Prophet ﷺ used to come and use the same water for purification afterwards. Then you have the hadith from the Ashab al-Sunan. And they narrate that some of the wives or one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, she made purification from water in like a bowl or a, like a small, like a, like a bowl type of object, jafna, like a big bowl. And there was some water in it. One of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, she made ghusl from that water. Then the Prophet ﷺ came and he wanted to make ghusl as well. But then this wife of the Prophet ﷺ, she said to him, Inni kuntu junuban. She said to the Prophet ﷺ, Wait, I was in a state of janaba. I used this water and I was in a state of janaba. Like as if to tell him, don't use it. I've used it already. I'm in a state of janaba. But then the Prophet ﷺ said what? He said, Water cannot become impure. Water can't have janaba in it. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Water can't have this janaba in it. Water can't have this ritual impurity in it. So now, you have two hadith, Ibn Abbas and the Ashab al-Sunan, which seem to indicate you can use the leftover water of somebody else. But the first hadith seems to indicate you cannot use the leftover water. So now, we come to this issue then. And remember, when we talk about this water, the usage of the water, maybe a person is making ghusl from, maybe a woman is making ghusl because she's been on a period, or because she's had the postnatal bleeding, or because she's in a state of janaba, and a man similarly might be in a state of janaba, and he's clearing himself and purifying himself, making ghusl from that state. Can somebody else come and use that same water afterwards or not? So this is the issue. In the first hadith, like we said, the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that a woman should use what's left over from a man, and that a man should use what's left over from a woman. But in the second narration of Ibn Abbas, here the Prophet ﷺ, he stated that it is permissible. He stated it's permissible from the narration of Ibn Abbas, Abdullah Ibn Abbas, the famous companion, whenever they say, uh, whenever they say uh, Ibn Abbas, إذا أطلق فالمراد به Abdullah Ibn Abbas. Whenever they say Ibn Abbas, then they mean by that Abdullah Ibn Abbas. And he was the Tarjuman al-Quran, the one who had knowledge of the Quran and uh, extreme detail of the Quran. And the Prophet made dua for Ibn Abbas, Allahumma faqqihu fi din wa allimhu ta'wil. Oh Allah, give him knowledge of the religion and give him knowledge of the understanding of the ayat and the Quran, etc. And so it's mentioned... فصارت هذه الدعوة النبوية مباركة على عبد الله بن عباس رزقه الله فخا عظيما. ابن عباس was given great understanding and he was given great understanding of the Quran and its meanings. That's why he was called the translator of the Quran, the one who can explain the Quran to you. And he was given the title of حبر الأمة. حبر الأمة meaning the the great scholar of this of this nation because of his great amount of knowledge. That's even despite the fact that he was very young. He was very young at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and uh, similarly the time of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. وَكَانَ عُمَرْ يُحْذِرْهُ مَعَا أَكَابِرِ الصَّحَابَ And Umar ibn Khattab, he used to get Ibn Abbas to attend with the big companions when they used to discuss issues. So this is Ibn Abbas, the great companion of the Prophet ﷺ. So in this hadith, it mentions that the, in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, that Umm al-Mu'minina Maymuna, one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, who was the daughter of Al-Harith Al-Hilaliya, Maymuna bint Al-Harith Al-Hilaliya, and she was the Prophet, a prophet of the, a prophet, 
she was the wife of the Prophet and in fact she was Khalat ibn Abbas. She was the auntie of Ibn Abbas from the mother's side. Wa Khalat Khalid ibn Walid. She was actually also the auntie of Khalid ibn Walid from the mother's side. That was Maymuna. And she was one of the wives of the Prophet. So in that narration, the Prophet said it's okay. He used the leftover water. And in the third narration, it indicates again that it was allowed to use the water. So now, how do we combine all of this and how do we understand it? Again, we have an issue here. One hadith seems to indicate you can't use leftover water. If somebody used that water, you can't come and use it afterwards. But the other two hadith seem to indicate you can. So now, فَهَذِي الْأَحَدِيثُ يُسْتَفَادُ مِنْهَا Firstly, أَوَّلًا أَنَّهِي عَنِ اغْتِسَالِ الْمَرْأَ بِفَضْلِ الرَّجُلِ كَمَا فِي الْحَدِيثِ الْأَوَّلِ ثَانِيًا أَنَّهِي عَنِ اغْتِسَالِ الرَّجُلِ بِفَضْلِ الْمَرْأَ ثَالِثًا جَوَازِ اغْتِسَالِ الرَّجُلِ وَالْمَرْأَ مَعًا فِي آنٍ وَاحِدٍ فِي إِنَاءٍ وَاحِدٍ What you benefit from the first hadith from its apparent meaning is that it is not permissible for a man to use the leftover water of a woman. It is not permissible for a woman to use the leftover water of a man. But it is permissible if they both use it at the same time. That's what the first hadith seems to indicate. هَذَا مَا يُسْتَفَادُ مِنَ الْأَحَدِيثِ أَمَّا الْحُكْمُ الْأَوَّلُ وَهُوَ اِخْتَسَالُ الْمَرْأَ مِنْ فَضْلِ رَجُلْ فَأَجْمَعُ الْمَا عَلَى جَوَازِهِ وَلَمْ يُخَالِفِهِ إِلَّا نَزَرِ يَسِيرُ وَقَدْ حَكَى النَّوَوِيُّ رَحِمَ اللَّهِ الْإِجْمَاعَ عَلَى هَذَا أَمَّا الْحُكْمِ الثَّانِي وَهُوَ اِخْتَسَالُ الْإِثْنَيْنِ مِنْ إِنَاءِ وَاحِدٍ فِي وَقْتٍ وَاحِدٍ فَهَذَا أَيْضًا مَحَلُّ إِجْمَاعٍ بَيْنَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ لَمْ يُخَالِفِهِ أَحَدٌ أَنَّهُ يَجُوزُ لِلزَّوْجَيْنِ أَنْ يَخْتَسِلَا جَمِيعًا مِنْ إِنَاءٍ وَاحِدٍ أَمَّا الْحُكْمُ الثَّالِثُ وَهُوَ اِخْتِسَالُ الرَّجُلِ مِنْ فَضْلِ الْمَرْأَةِ فَهَذَا هُوَ مَوْضِعُ الْخِلَافِ فَهَذَا يَخْتَلِفُ الْعُلَمَاءُ فِي هَذِهِ الْمَسْأَلَةِ عَلَى ثَلَاثِ أَقْوَالٍ هَنَا هَذَا الشَّيْخُ سَأَسْ As for a woman using the leftover water of a man, the scholars are agreed it's permissible. The woman to come and use the leftover water of a man, the scholars they say it is permissible. And the shaykh says, hardly anyone disagreed with that, just a few people here and there. As for both of the husband and wife using the water at the same time, again, agreed upon, no problem in that. That they can both use that water at the same time. As for the man using the leftover water of the woman, here there is a difference of opinion. Here, القول الأول المنع. The first statement is that it is impermissible. أي أنه لا يصح لا يصح اغتسال الرجل من فضل المرأة أي الماء المتبقي. بعد اغتسالهم بعد اغتسالها من الجناب أو الحيض والنفاس مطلقا أخذا بظاهر الحديث الذي فيه النهي. Here the first opinion is that it is not permissible for a man to use the leftover water of a woman who has used that water to make ghusl from menstruation or from postnatal bleeding or from janaba that the man cannot use that water. And this is something which is mentioned. in uh, the book uh, Nail al-Autar, and Ashokani uh, attributes this uh, statement to the likes of Umar ibn Khattab and Abdullah ibn Sarjis and Juwayriya bint al-Harith wa Maymuna, Zawjatayn of Sallam. And then also Al-Hassan al-Basri, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, many of them, they apparently made this statement that the man cannot use the leftover water of the woman. That's the first opinion. The second opinion is لا يجوز للرجل أن يغتسل من فضل المرأة إذا دخلت إذا خلت به أما إذا اغتسلت به من غير خلوة فلا مانع. This is the second opinion that it is not permissible for a man to use the leftover water of the woman if she used that water privately somewhere. If it was privately by herself somewhere. Then a man cannot come afterwards and use that water. If she used the water in front of him, for example, she wasn't somewhere private in front of him, then it can be used. That's what this opinion it states. Even if the woman used that water and there were other people present like other women 
there was a big bowl of water and she used it to make wudu and other women were there. So she wasn't by herself. Then it's permissible, they say, for the man to come and use the water. The point being, they say, that the woman cannot be by herself when she uses that water. If that's the case, then the man can't use it. But if there were other women there, or the man himself was there present, then he can use it. That's what they say in the second opinion. The third statement, the third opinion, which is actually the opinion of the majority of the scholars now. This is the Jamhur opinion. جواز اغتسال الرجل من فضل المرأة مطلقا خلت به أو لم تخل به The permissibility of the man or for the man to use the leftover water of the woman even if she was by herself or not by herself that second opinion they say it doesn't matter by herself, not by herself their third opinion says it is permissible for a man to use the leftover water of a woman the leftover water what we mean is that the woman, she has like, or there is like a big bowl of water. So the woman dips the hands in to use the water, dips the hands in, scoops water out, and there's still some left afterwards. The man can come and use the rest of it for himself now. And that is because of the clear narration of Ibn Abbas, that the Prophet ﷺ used the leftover water of Maymuna, radiallahu anha. So then the problem is, how do you respond to the first hadith? The first hadith that says, the man should not use the leftover water of the woman, and the woman should not use the leftover water of the man. How do you respond to that then? If you're going to say, no, you can do it. So what does that hadith mean then? They say that if there is a prohibition in the sunnah for something, then typically it means prohibition, it's not allowed. However, if there are some other ahadith that can be used or that are within that same scenario, which would therefore indicate that this prohibition isn't actually a prohibition of making it haram, but it's a prohibition of making it makruh. So here they said, Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, that the hadith would indicate that this is makruh. It's makruh to do, to use the water which is left over, but that you can do it. Uh, it's upon, it's to be understood that this is something which is disliked to do. And the ahadith which indicate that it's permissible, therefore indicate to you that it is something which is allowed. لأن القاعدة أن نهي الأصل في التحريم هذا هو الأصل إلا إذا جاء ما يصرفه عن التحريم. So they said that the hadith of Ibn Abbas indicates to you that it is allowed, even though it's not something that should be done. If there is leftover water, you shouldn't use that to make wudu with again, or make ghusl with, or anything after that. But if you were to do it, it is permissible. That's what these hadith would therefore indicate. But then what if somebody says, if you're not going to say to me that doing that is allowed, but it's makruh though, that's what these ahadith are telling us, that's the end result, then does that mean the Prophet ﷺ did something which was makruh? He used the water of Maymuna, what was left over. Did the Prophet ﷺ do something which was makruh then? No. Why did the Prophet ﷺ do it then? To teach the people that it's allowed. To let the people know that this act, it is permissible. It's allowed if you do it. However, in the other hadith where he said, don't do it, that therefore means that you shouldn't really do it, but he did it to show you that if you did end up doing it, it is allowed. It's allowed, but it's disliked, it's makruh. So that's why the Prophet did it, to indicate the permissibility, to show you that it's not haram, it is permissible, but it's not something which is recommended. So therefore, it's not considered to be makruh when the Prophet does it. He does it to teach us, to explain to us the permissibility of that act. But then with the other hadith, we understand that this is something that is not permissible.
The third answer that you can also give to this hadith which says that the man cannot use the leftover water of the woman and the woman cannot use the leftover water of the man. They said the meaning of that is, imagine you have like a big bowl of water now and somebody makes wudu. The water when you make wudu, some of it drops off you obviously, it drops off. That water which drops off from having made wudu, that water they said you can't use it again. If that water drops off and goes into a bowl somewhere, you can't use that water again. But the water which is fresh that you're dripping out from, that you're scooping it out from, that's okay. They said the hadith means that a man can't use the leftover water of a woman, or the woman the leftover water of the man, if they are making the wudu and the water, the same water is dripping back. It's the same water coming off their face. That water can't be used again now because that's used. They used it there to make wudu. But the, if that didn't happen, they took the water and they made the wudu, and that water was safe, then that water you can use it. So in this instance, the result would be, as Sheikh Saleh Hafuzan indicates here, that you can use that spare water, but it's not something that should be done. Use uh, fresh water, and that's better. And that's what we're concluding today.